Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I am joined by both Josh Newberg, who threw me off right before we started recording by saying he is a tennis player now. He just like doesn't. You said I look like one. You do look like one. I don't look like one. I am one. And Chris Nee is joining me too. Chris, please help me be the normal one today. I need okay. it. All right, okay. he's he's good. He's he's down for this. This is the final episode of our On the Bench Camp Memory Series. This has been a fun one to do. We appreciate Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial for, for sponsoring this series. This has been fun to look Shout back. out to them. Shout out to Evershore. Uh, this has been fun. It's been informative. I've enjoyed hearing you guys share your yarns. That's what we call it, right? Yarns. About, about recruiting. That, it, sure. it, I honestly kind of miss covering some semblance of camp this year. Uh, it just kind of was... Oh, I definitely do. No jokes aside. I mean, that was right. getting out of the of my house out of the office is, is one of the things that I look forward to with my job. Um, it does get hot out there. At times we complain, but overall, man, I, I really miss getting to these summer camps up at Florida State. Yeah, and having the ability to lay eyes on a kid working with a coach who wants them tells you more than any other setting you're going to get that kid in. Mm hmm. That's a good it's point, also, Chris. It's also a great place for us to set up relationships, not just with recruits, but family members that attend these camps. Sometimes we're, we're with these parents, you know, for two or three days on the sidelines and they become very valuable contacts down the stretch, you know, not just in the summer, but November, December, January. Yeah. And it lays a solid foundation for the future. You usually get to see a good amount of kids that are going to be rising juniors, rising sophomores that the school is going to become interested in and potentially land in future classes coaches as well like they see you guys out there grinding and they Good take point. note of someone who's around the program and doing things the right way assuming you're doing it the right way which I know both of you uh, usually color between the lines so yeah this is camp sessions have been very good to us as a network as a website to other outlets as well it's mutually beneficial to both sides typically and, and the players as well like everyone wins off of off of these camps so we miss them uh, and this series has been a way to kind of Kind of remember what, what camps were, were like for us under different eras. We spent multiple episodes doing the Jimbo Fisher era, mainly because it went, underwent some changes and lasted for, for nearly a decade. Now we're going to spend this episode, two parts. Uh, one, we're going to focus on the brief Willie Taggart tenure, and then we'll give a look ahead to what we can maybe expect for Mike Norvell camps in the future, assuming you know that things will be normal next summer and, and there will be camps. So let's start off, fellas, with the Willie Taggart era the summer camps that he had. I know we're going to focus on how it ended and things coming off lackluster, but I want to read off some names to the very first camp under Willie Taggart. This isn't even Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, which was a huge deal. This is just his very first camp in June. Now, first to, to set the scene, uh, Josh Newberg's not there. Josh, why weren't you there at the first one? I missed in 2018, I missed my very first camp. Um, in 10 years, or at this point, it had been eight years of working at 
24-7 sports. And I had to have my gallbladder removed. Like on, I think it was on a, on a, on a Monday and camp was that weekend. So I, I debated on whether or not I was going to come up and I, and I just wasn't right yet. It took about two weeks to recover. You were worried if I recall about the drive up to camp and just sitting upwards for like four yeah, hours. Yeah. They didn't want me sitting for, for like more than an hour in one position and the drive up there was like four hours. So that was a little, that, yeah, I ended up not coming. So- Worried everybody around me for a while thinking that I was going to go up, but I ended up not going. And it was a weird time uh, because the Florida State staff had just been put together and they arrived. And, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a bunch of these coaches from for five, almost 10 years, some of them. And their very first camp up there, I, I just get all these texts. It was from Woody and from Greg Fry and from Telly. They're like, Newberg, you don't work? Like, where are you at? Why, why aren't you here? So that was pretty funny, but you, you held it down for me. I, I will talk about my role in this camp. Cause it was a very Brendan awkwardish camp, uh, but, but, but never first, again. Chris, no, never again. I think I was forbidden from covering camps again in the future. Nee, uh, on a scale of one to 10, how agitated were you that Newberg was not, not there and that he decided to have his little gallbladder taken out <laughs> a few weeks beforehand for baby. Uh, in a moment, I was probably being a little bit of a dick about it. I mean, let's be honest, that's just how I am. But I, I understood it. I mean, I get it. I, you know, I have friends. I had, a, I had a whole organ taken out of my body. What do you mean you get it now? Yeah, you don't it's need a, it. It's a fairly unimportant one, though. But I mean, it's, it's still an organ. It's not a kidney or a lung or hell, a heart. I mean, come on, buddy. Spoiler. Suck it, suck it up, Buttercup. It honestly, I mean, I wanted to be out there more. It, I was worrying a lot of the people around me that were caring for me that I was going to get in the car and drive up there and go to Tallahassee. So it wasn't like I, I didn't want to go, but yeah, I can my, understand. My that. wife was on your side. She thought you were an idiot for considering coming up. <laughs> Don't worry. A, a year later, uh, Christmas is a summer camp. Yeah. How about that? To go cover baseball. Matter a year to later. go cover baseball. And yeah, I think that was part of it too, but Hey, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Nee, we'll go into some of the subtopics here with this camp. What do you remember most of the first one, just generally speaking? That Orlando group. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Renardo Green was a, a dog. He was a guy that we really enjoyed watching him work with Harlan Barnett. Uh, Tyler Davis was a guy who I loved as a player. Odell clearly loved him working one-on-one with Odell. Stephen Dix Jr. was a young guy with that group. Then you have like Rion Davis, who was with that group who didn't work out and was on the side, kind of showed the – line of demarcation of guys that FSU had a shot at versus guys who were just part of a bus tour. So that that's sort of when I think back to it, that's that's the group. And then Brendan Gant on the golf cart mm-hmm. is another memory that I have from it inside the IPF. That's what I was going to say, Chris, is the earlier when you guys were talking about the value of having these camps and seeing players in person, seeing coaches interact with with kids, not only do you get an idea of who they like, but you get to see the, the kids, how they respond to to the coaches. The fact that Brendan Gantt chilled in Willie Taggart's cart for a couple hours. I ended up putting in three crystal balls that day, Chris. One was Brendan Gantt to FSU. The other one was Kalen Deloach to FSU because him and his dad were hugging everyone and happy. And and they were there for about five hours. And then Rian yeah, Davis we, to Georgia because of that whole debacle. Yeah, we knew Deloach was an important visit with his father. That, that was kind of the, if they were going to get him, this was going to be the visit that probably resulted in that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely went that way. And I remember us watching it throughout the day as it kind of happened. The other thing about that camp, I remember we were kind of like uh, in three different spots. We were at the IPF, obviously, the fields and the entrances there. And then we were also over by the Moore Athletic Center because some guys were just coming in kind of touring and going mm-hmm. around and not necessarily coming out of camp. 
So we're kind of having to separate and run back and forth. And usually it's not like that under Jimbo. It was always everybody ended up on the field unless they really did not want to see him, which was very few and far between in Jimbo's time there. So it was a little bit different in the sense of having to run back and forth. Josh, this, correct me if I'm wrong, this is how I viewed it, is the Jimbo camp was scouting almost seemed like the number one priority and then recruiting, but it seemed like the evaluation part was almost at the very top for him, just given the way that it was set up. This seemed flipped. Uh, you, It was more about getting guys one-on-one, isolated with coaches, and going for the relationship. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And there's there's more than one way to be a successful recruiter. So I'm not going to say that what Willie Taggart did resulted in you know him being fired after two years. But at the end of the day, Jimbo created an atmosphere of competition. And kids wanted to come in and compete. Um, I think the atmosphere that Florida State developed under Willie Taggart would have worked had they won. Yeah. But from the kickoff at Virginia Tech until signing day, the results on the field made recruits look back at maybe those summer camps and think, hmm, maybe that ship isn't being run as tightly as, as I had thought when I was there over the summer. So, I, I mean, I honestly believe if FSU would have had more of a competitive atmosphere there, they wouldn't have, all these recruits wouldn't have dropped like flies like they did when FSU was losing because you could have spun it like, yeah, we're here. We're trying to get better. Like, that's what that's what this summer camp was about. You know, we pushed you guys hard because we know we had to get better, but it wasn't like that. And um, the guys kind of saw through the facade of what was happening. And that's why all those five stars that we're going to talk about that were at Saturday Night Live ended up falling off the board fairly quickly yeah it went from a concept of fun versus work and i I think fun works when When work is invested and you win but when you lose and you lose badly nobody cares if you're having fun they want to go to a program to win to prepare themselves for the next level and to project themselves as highly as they can at the next level and you know the the fun is good it lasts there's a feeling to it but when the football is actually played it can suck all the life out of that i think that's what we ended up seeing here this is topical today specifically because people are talking about it on the social media it's that every few months where people get frustrated that odell Hagens isn't getting the recruits that they want i want to focus on this aspect chris mentioned the orlando tour bus that came through normally these camps start uh well under jimbo they would start like on a middle of the week on the afternoon and then there'd be a full day which was kind of that day two was the fireworks and day three was a half a day in the morning and it kind of wrapped up a day two was the big one this wasn't quite the same this was a day one day two done uh type of deal but the orlando bus tour came and you had all these kids from central florida and a really talent rich area coming in camp almost separately almost exclusively they went into the ipf we'll talk about some of those names that chris mentioned earlier but tyler davis the four-star defensive tackle from Apopka Wakaiva High School ended up having a phenomenal freshman season at Clemson. When he left there that day, Chris, he works exclusively with Odell Hagens for about an hour one-on-one. Both of them were sweating. I mean, it was a legitimate work session. This wasn't all fun. There was fun, but this was Tyler Davis came to FSU to work. I remember thinking that FSU was in the driver's seat for him leaving that day. Yeah, they were in a good spot, and it was always them and Clemson were the main two in that recruitment. In the end, Clemson's success on the field and the fact that young DTs had been put on the field at Clemson 
those were the ultimate selling points to him. And it didn't matter how good of a relationship he had with Odell and how much he did like FSU being in-state. Those two things superseded anything FSU could offer. The on-field product, I think, for FSU ultimately, too, kind of derails that recruitment. But you got to see Odell Higgins, again, one-on-one in what he – the, the knowledge that he can bring to that position group. And I think Tyler's dad, if I'm not mistaken, played defensive tackle at FAMU or he played football at FAMU. So him and Odell knew each other. And I think they played college football at the same time. So they knew each other from being in the same town. Uh, so, so there was that dynamic at play as well. Bernardo Green, you mentioned, Chris, he came out, he put in work with Harlan Barnett. I remember at that point I was sold on him. I liked him anyways on, on film, but like the fact that he was already committed and he came in willing to work. I think that solidified like everything that you thought about him. You mentioned him being a dog knee. He was that alpha for that group that day. Yeah, you could tell Harlan loved him. He just yeah. gravitated to him. And it was a good group. He worked with a solid group, both of kids from his local area that were with him on the visit, as well as some others who were at the camp that day. Some guys who ended up at very good, solid D1 programs. But he just got after it. And uh, we've seen that as a player here. Obviously, we're expecting more from him down the road. But the signs we saw in that camp of him pretty much being willing to go against anyone in any kind of situation and be aggressive and attacking, he is that. And he was that in the camp. And I think they liked him before the camp. I think they loved him after the camp. You mentioned – you called him Rion Davis, and I did too. I thought it was Ryan. I just I know it spelled it was R- Ryan. It was Ryan? Okay. I didn't bother learning his name because he went to Georgia. I mean, was, if we're being honest here. That was a he weird – I remember he was a stud that Florida State just didn't want to offer. And, that was and at the time, yep. Derek Hall was in play very much so. Uh, went to Auburn. The Nicobe number one, uh, Nicobe Dean was very much in play at that time. Tresman Marshall and, actually yep. showed. Tresman Marshall showed up that day. Remember that, Josh? Hey, that was he made his... like five visits in four days. Yeah, exactly. Later on, we found out it was for a girl. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was off at the Tresman Marshall train when I shook his hand. It wasn't it wasn't vice grip enough. It was a little bit too. Yeah, so they were just kind of, you know, they saw Ryan Davis as, I think he's six foot, six foot one, you know, a little bit shorter than the guys that they had on the board at the time. And um, pretty sure he committed to UGA over the summer. So by the time FSU was grasping, uh, he was long gone. Well, he, yeah, had the it, he had the Georgia shirt on. That was yeah. what I remember. Just, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that, Chris, that crystal ball can go in because he's, <laughs> uh, he's dropping the clues right now. I, I see him right on his chest. When he wore the Georgia sh- – but you know that why he did that, right? Because Florida State hadn't offered him right. and Georgia had, and yeah. he was on campus at FSU, and they weren't really interested in him. It was a holdout. It was yeah. kind of it was kind of like the Ronnie – to lesser extent, Part the Ronnie two. Harrison debacle uh, in that For sense sure. where it was a standoff. Uh, Chris, I got some other names written down here. Uh, let's go through it real quick. Uh, two running backs from North Georgia. They were teammates that stood out. And remember, they came in without a lot of fanfare, and we left both really liking them. Tony Mathis and Kobe Breyer. One ends up going to West Virginia. The other one ends up uh, signing with Clemson. Were they both from Cedartown? Yes. Yep, that's yeah, right. that, that place has a hell of a weight room. That's what I remember about those <laughs> two guys. Kobe Pryor physically just blows you away. Like you see him and you're like, who is this guy? And then you watch him move and he's fluid and he can move. He can get downfield. He's aggressive. He's quick. Kobe Pryor was a stud. Like the fact he ended up at Clemson, I don't remember at that point if he was truly that level of recruit no. nationally. I don't think he was. I, I barely – I don't even know they even had profiles for them, Chris, at that point. But I, I know that watching him and then learning eventually he ended up at Clemson did not surprise. He 
watching that kid on that field that day, he's the kind of dude you want in your program. He can run between tackles. He can run outside the tackles. He can punish a defense. Um, you know, they're good. I was going to say, I think Chris, like those two guys to me, what stands out and we'll get into some of the ones they actually end up going in and offering, but like, that was the difference between the Jimbo camp and the Willie camps was those two guys stood out. They looked different than everyone else there who was camping that morning. And I don't think they got a whole lot of love at all. Yeah. I mean, they, they got interest, but they, that staff kind of had their guys. They just naturally Mm -hmm. wanted and that that's who they truly cared about when they walked through the door. I don't think the camp was as much about flipping over a rock and finding somebody new or changing the board up drastically. I don't think they were about that. I think their board going into camp stayed pretty similar to what it was coming out of camp. Especially with the skill guys. Uh, other names, Amari Daniels would be one who – Amari, sorry. No, Amiri, Amari, Amiri. Amari. It's Amari Daniels. Amari Daniels. Yeah, he's a Telly, Telly Lockett-tied kid running back from South Florida. He's actually in this class this year. You know, Texas A&M or Miami, I think, are the main two there. FSU faded from that, but that was always an FSU Telly Lockett connection. Peter Parrish, Chad Masco were among the quarterbacks who threw. I remember Parrish being kind of a big name that both of you guys were writing about leading up to it. Then Chad Masco was more of a discovery, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and I can't remember. I don't think they ever offered Parrish. I think that's one where they held out. And if they did offer, it was literally right before he committed to LSU or wherever he first committed to and he ended up to LSU. And he ends up at LSU, and I think he actually – currently is off that team i think he's suspended from the team but uh parish was a guy who was good in camp masco there were a couple other quarterbacks that worked with walt i actually enjoyed watching walt put quarterbacks through stuff they it was very uh rapid pace it was about precision ability to throw and there were different things he wanted them to do as far as height on the ball aggressiveness with throwing the ball the way they threw a ball from different positions on the field when they were moving around Chad's a young guy. He's built like a linebacker. His dad's, for people that have been around this for 25 years, his dad was a national defensive player of the year coming out of high school out of Osceola and Kissimmee County. Chad's definitely built like his father in many ways where he's that thick, physical, build guy that looks like he can punish you on defense. Uh, my main concern with Chad, and I think it's been proven true to a degree now, is I, I don't – I think he's sort of topped out as a quarterback. Like I don't know – what he is long-term as a quarterback. To me, he's a kid that's a really good athlete. who's a capable quarterback, but his future may be better at a different position. The other name I wanted to focus on is Demory Tate, because I think he he may have been a silent commitment for a little bit. FSU was trying to keep secret, but he ended up spilling the beans accidentally that day. And Odell, do you remember that part, Chris? I'm trying to remember exactly how, but, he, but it wasn't supposed to be out there that day. Odell didn't want other schools finding out about Demory Tate because Demory Tate is a five-star talent. And he was a kid that played on a bad high school team. And he was kind of hidden by that fact in the Orlando area. And Odell was very early on him. It was him and FAU were the first two on that kid. And Odell loved him. And they got him up here for camp. They were working him out. And he was one of those that he kind of poked and he prod because you knew he was either going to commit or had committed and you were just trying to get out of him. And he did finally fess up to it. I think he put out an edit when he left camp that day to make it official. But it was kind of one of those things where he – I think Odell wanted him to wait for as long as possible to draw it out to kind of keep him under wraps. Because many committed to FSU, I think it, the belief is a lot of other schools are going to look at this kid. And there's a reason they wanted to keep him under wraps for as long as they could because he was going to get the Alabamas and Clemsons and all that. And even down the stretch, you know, Bama, Georgia were two schools that FSU had to fend off till the very end with DeMore. 
I remember it now. Demori, Wayne and I interviewed Demori because he was someone who stood out. You told yeah. us to go talk to him. He said he committed. And Wayne and I looked at each other like, what? You're committed? He's a guy I've been committed. And we went over to Mario Edwards and Odell were standing next to each other to go confirm it. And Odell ran away from us or tried to. This is pre, uh, pre-surgery, pre knee surgery for Odell. He's like, yeah, they, no, 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 no. He didn't want to talk about it at all. They did not want Tate discussed. Yeah. Like that, that's one of those kids that even when they offered him and we wrote about him, I think I actually wrote about him the day he got offered, interviewed him, did some quotes on it. There was a little bit of like, hey, don't don't turn him into something more. <laughs> that was always the case with his recruitment, but it wasn't going to last. He was always going to become a national kid. It just they wanted to take as long as it could take. All right. We're going to wrap this one up with me being super awkward. I documented these at the time because Newberg wasn't there, we needed a little bit more, you know, the, the color that Newberg would usually offer up in his post, uh, post-camp evaluation. So this is, this is what I documented. This is me being awkward with recruits. Uh, Chad Masco from Thomasville, I, uh, I asked him if he followed the career of Charlie Ward. Uh, for those doing math at home, Charlie Ward played football in 1993 at FSU, and uh, Chad Masco, I don't think, was born then. So... He didn't know how to respond to that. He, he, he did not know how to respond. Renato Green compared himself to a uh, to superhero uh, Wolverine. And then I said, my facial hair and, and hair, like I, I look like Wolverine too. And he actually agreed with me. He was just trying to let you down easy. I mean, Renato's a straight shooter. I think he would have told me if he didn't think. He said, I, he said, I can see that. I can see that. I feel uh, like if you revisited that conversation with him today, he'd probably tell you you're an idiot. Gently. But he tell you an maybe idiot. maybe I bragged to one player about being four for four on crystal balls. That was back when I was really really good at the crystal ball game. Not so much anymore. And then uh, then pretty much every interview was me just apologizing for not being Joshua Newberg. So that was the first Willie Taggart camp, uh, highlighted by me being just very awkward and uh, but it was productive, Chris. I thought it was for a first camp. It wasn't quite the buzz of some of the Jimbo ones, but like it was it was a good tone setter in my mind. Yeah, it's probably worth adding the footnote that they, as a staff, always told us the focus is on the end of July. Which we are so like, to. Yep. Right, which we'll explain further. But I think it's worth saying that in the context of the now of that June camp. I want to get back to this real quick. Getting your gallbladder out feels like a very old man thing to happen. I am an old man. True. Well, that was a responsible thing for you to do, right? I am very responsible. Well, Josh, do you know what else is responsible? What's that, Brennan? Being fiscally sound and responsible. That's true. Could you imagine not having a plan in place for your finances during these troubled times? Precisely, Josh. Wouldn't it make sense to have guardrails and safety nets up to make sure that everything you've worked so hard for is safe and secure as possible? Absolutely. And that's why we're happy to be sponsored by Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. Daniel just isn't a fan of the podcast and an FSU fan. He's an all-around good guy who's making this podcast possible. He's also an experienced financial advisor with a reputable firm and someone who can make sure you're protected. Brendan, tell the folks at home how they can not just support the man who supports our podcast and is also an FSU fan, but tell them how they can also get some sound financial advice as well. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. 
Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321 304 4026 for a no obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321 304 4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Gentlemen, that was just outstanding, let me tell you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. All right. So again, thank you to, to Daniel for taking interest in this podcast and helping us with this series. It's been fun. Let's, uh, and we're still having fun at this point too. We're not still getting having good time at this point. Yeah. It's still 2018 time. and there's still Santa Art Live coming up, but real quick, mm-hmm. let's go to the June big man camp in 2018 because Joshua Newberg triumphantly makes his return back to Florida state. Uh, one less organ than before, but you know, superstar. Yeah. More aerodynamic. I think you showed us your belly button that day. And then I was, that's right, because then I showed you guys my stomach because I was losing weight. I was shredding for the wedding at that point. I was about to get married that next month. Well, they they poked three holes around my belly button to get my gallbladder yeah, out. And so they, that's, they suck it all out. I don't yeah, even it's, know. It's a gross thing. All right, anyway. <laughs> the big man camp. I will say this. The first big man camp for Willie Taggart was pretty good. Uh, they were digging for some diamonds in the rough. But uh, uh, the first name I'm going to throw out here, fellas, one. Charles Cross. Who wants to start off with the Charles Cross recruitment? He actually, Charles Cross's day at FSU is very funny because he's good. He looks apart without a doubt. He's got a frame you die for. He's athletic, like checks all the boxes, as I like to say. I wanted to get that one in there, but he does. But also in one-on-ones, he got his backside kicked a time or two. Like, Did he actually bit- fall on the ground? Well, he had one where the I think it was a kid from Bradenton, Manatee High School wrestler, white DN just got under him and threw his ass. And I, there was nothing he could do. He's white and he got off balance and he got thrown. It happens in one-on-ones. So it was kind of one of those things where it was funny in the sense of like we were going to write about him as though he was the most important piece of the day. And he was because long term he's going to be really damn good at football. But that day, he also had some of those shortcomings that a guy who is a light, big body may have in a setting where other guys are more advanced in the weight room. And we saw that. So it was just kind of funny balancing that. But he made the trek all the way from Mississippi. I believe mom and dad were both with him, if I remember correctly. We talked to him at the end of the day working out. Then they went to get some food, and we followed him after that. And Not followed him, but we waited for him, spoke to him after that. It was clear he loved FSU. They were very high on him. The offer was there. It, it was like, man, I, you know, because here we are three years ago having the same conversation of we need offensive tackles. And he was very much that guy. And he was going to be that guy that helped turn the page and fix that problem. And that day laid all the foundation and all the groundwork for making that happen for FSU. And it's why they did end up getting commitment from him. But in the end, obviously, he ends up at Mississippi State. So it's a shortcoming there. 
but he's just one of a few of the offensive linemen we saw there that day. Josh Fryer is a younger guy, center type. Mm-hmm. Greg Fry had a relationship, I believe, with that family, or at least they were familiar with Greg, which led to him coming in for the visit. He's a younger kid, but he's really, really good, really liked him. I thought he could be FSU's future center in that bunch, but his recruitment exploded. I remember Notre Dame coming in, Ohio State, many others. I believe he ended up in Ohio State commitment in the end. Um, Kamar Bell was in from Valdosta. He ends up at, I believe it's Auburn at the end. Moultrie. Moultrie. Moultrie kid. Call quit. FSU's in it throughout the whole deal. He's a big body offensive guard type, but you're you're seeing guys that can definitely help them on the offensive line among the group that was there. And it's a moment of optimism about the future of FSU's offensive line, which is something we so desperately needed around these parts because it had been fairly putrid at this point for already two, three years where it was bad and the recruiting was bad and the future solutions were you know, not necessarily showing up on paper when you look at what they had on the depth chart and the roster. They end up going 0-4 with all those guys. Like, other than on the offensive line, I don't think they end up signing any of them. They end up offering Kamar Bell. They end up offering Josh Fryer. Obviously, they got a commitment for Charles Cross. We know how that ends up. So, yeah, it was a decent amount of talent there. It just didn't really work out for Florida State. For Am I wrong? Reasons. Do I remember Fryer being a 20 20- that that camp where Fryer arrived, he was going into his junior summer, right? He was, young, he was younger, yes. He was younger. So he was offered at the camp. Um, at the time, I, I believe he only had Cincinnati. And there were fans on our message board that were questioning whether or not, you know, this was a good offer, if he could really <laughs> play at FSU, if Greg Fry knew what he was looking for. He was the best and, player. He was the You know, best fast forward a year later, uh, FSU didn't even have a chance at him, you know? <laughs> So it's just funny how things sometimes work out. True Thompson was there working out for Odell. For like, like the he, fifth year in a yeah, row. Yeah, for like he always has. It just it was a time honored tradition. And and true at that point, like Odell's boy, like they he knew what Odell wanted, and so he was kind of the the pinnacle of Odell's workout groups. And Odell loved True. He was for damn a near a camp counselor by that point. Exactly, right? yeah. that's exactly what he was. But I remember Josh Fryer like went toe to toe with True Thompson back to back reps. And the entire coaching staff got like juiced for it. At that point, I was like, "Yeah, we're I'm on board with Josh Fryer. Like, he's going to be a fine college football player." And before we move on, uh, shout out to True Thompson's dad. It was always enjoyable to hang out with him every summer on the sidelines and just kind of chop it up. And it's been a while since I've spoken with him, but he was a great dude. Yeah, he's a good guy, very much so. The whole family's good people, but his dad's a guy that we definitely built a relationship with. True's a good dude, and you kind of understand why he is once you meet the family. Let's move on to the highlight event of the Willie Taggart era when it comes to recruiting. This was by design, as Chris mentioned, FSU recruiting. Oh, oh, Neil, I'm going to throw this to you. If so much about what they want to do coming up with this event called Saturday Night Live is about momentum. That's what yeah. Willie Taggart era was based on. Go from there, please. You well, call they, it momentum. I call it smoke and mirrors, but go ahead, Chris. Oh, hey. <laughs> they, uh, they wanted to create this end of July rush of recruiting, which was get a lot of real good guys on campus wine dine you know love them up make it fun put a little camp in the middle of it but it's more about the dinner the hangout we're going to spend time together and then we're going to try to get a roll of commitments off of this and certainly set the board for going into the fall it's kind of the end of summer event for them you know Kayvon Thibodeau Oregon defensive manager he's going to be a future top draft pick he's one of the main centerpieces for that I believe Charles Cross came back for that correct me if I'm wrong on that feel free yes he did. Um, 
Real quick, let me read the... Let me read this for you guys out and then we'll jump from there. That's a good scene setter, Chris. I'm just going to read the headlines that we had that you guys wrote for the days afterwards. All right. Renardo Green remains solid to FSU despite attempts to flip him. Charles Cross talks to FSU, talks FSU commitment, Greg Fry and more. Five star star O-lineman Cardell Thomas on FSU. Man, there's nothing like it. FSU solidifies status with a keen dent. This is home for me. Five-star Nicobe Dean on FSU visit. They showed me everything. Commitment in near future for linebacker target Kalen DeLoach. Four-star D-tackle Tyler Davis came to center live to work out with Odell Hagens. Boggle recaps his shortstop at FSU on Saturday. FSU lands four-star safety Brennan Gant. FSU staff Sam Howell working to flip George Pickens from Auburn. FSU impresses Derek Hall immediately jumping into the mix. Whew. Yeah. I mean, I mean it was good. They, and, you know... They had those guys there, but they also had 2020 talent like Harrison Bailey, who went to Tennessee at quarterback. They had 2021 talent like Colors Del Rio at quarterback, who went to UF. You know, running back group was solid. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Don Seneca, Chaney was there. Yeah, Don, Don Chaney, Miami commitment. Really, really good player from big school Miami. Seneca Millage, who went to Virginia, who's an excellent kick returner. You know, Pickens' name was mentioned in the Sam Howell update. At that point, he's an Auburn commitment, ultimately ends up at Georgia, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I believe, did Sam Howell's wide receiver teammate come with him to that one? The younger yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, yeah, he, and Sam Howell's father was with him. It was a big trip for Howell, if I remember. Agile right. Hall was this there. A mm-hmm. um, couple things stand out to me was – like Chris was saying, there was a focus on Saturday Night Live. And some of the June camps were a little thinner than, you know, maybe we expected. And I remember Chris and I having many conversations about this, like whether or not we should make a big deal out of whether the fact that these June camps are thin. And we came to the conclusion like, hey, it's clear what their strategy is. Their strategy is to get these kids in at the end of July. And if they do then, hey, you know, what's there to criticize? Like, so we were like, yeah, let's not, let's not get on that bandwagon yet or jump on that. Let's see how Saturday Night Live pans out and then we'll make our decision, you know, whether or not their strategy worked. And their strategy worked to perfection in yeah. terms of getting these kids on campus. Like you can't argue with their ability to amass this amount of talent at one camp at the end of July. Like this was, this was a ton of talent. Josh, I remember us having a conversation with Willie Taggart after the camp, and he legitimately was sold that they were the leader. They were the team to beat for Kayvon Thibodeau leaving that day. I mean, the kid flies all the way across from California, uh, hangs out at FAMU for the day with Willie Simmons, right? Remember that? And then Willie comes over and drops him off to the other Willie. And it was just – it was pitch perfect, as I recall. It was yeah. it was a thing of beauty about how that day was executed. Yeah. And if you remember at the time, linebacker was a huge need. Um, and just getting N'Kobe Dean, who was the number one linebacker in America and Derek Hall on campus at the same time was crazy because we knew Dean had a great relationship with Woody. We knew Hall had a great relationship with Woody, but it was like, all right, they're from Mississippi. Are you really going to be able to get them on campus? They did. And their families along with them. Um, I may have, I think I put in a crystal ball pick for N'Kobe Dean to FSU after, um, after the July event. Of course, I, I, I later changed it when everything went to hell. 
but I'm pretty sure I put in a Nicobe Dean crystal ball. Um, a Thibodeau Kayvon one. Thibodeau was there, and I put in a crystal ball for him. He was the number one player overall. Uh, Chris Bogle had showed up to a couple camps at this point. FSU was in a good spot with him. I called him Bogle like the game. My bad, guys. Of course, you had Cardell Thomas, who was a five-star offensive lineman. Charles Cross, who ended up being a five-star offensive lineman, was also there and committed FSU at the time. But I remember talking to Tyler Davis. Were you with me, Brendan, when I when when I kind of ran down Tyler Davis um, as he was leaving with a uh, mutual friend of ours? No, I don't recall that. I okay, then it was. Uh, oh, you know what? It was me and Wayne. Um, the person that drove Tyler Davis, I've known for a while, and and we didn't see Tyler Davis leave. So I called him and said, "Hey, are you guys still here?" He's like, "Oh, we're we're getting in the car. You wanna you wanna talk to Tyler?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." So I start leaving, and of course Wayne knows something's up. Oh, so Wayne kind just of follows. followed you. <laughs> yeah, Wayne followed me, and um, um, we interviewed Tyler, and he was also with Stephen Dix. Those were the two kids that came together. That's right. Uh, so we interviewed both of them, and. After I interviewed Tyler, he was going to come back in August. And the person that drove him pulled me to the side and kind of told me like, hey, he's going to come back in August with his mom and he's going to make his like he's going to commit. So I put a crystal ball pick in for Tyler Davis. The long story short with that deal, he ended up not being able to make it in at the end of August for some reason was going to come like a month later, like for Mm -hmm. the third or fourth game of the season. (laughs) Well, then Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, Uh, Tyler Davis. He did end up making that visit during the season. He was one of very few visitors one weekend. I want to say second home game maybe is when he came. Or was it for the Clemson game? I can't remember. I remember getting up with him in the parking lot as he's leaving. Yeah, he left it might have been on that Sunday. Second game. And uh, it just was amazing how much like positive momentum had just fizzled out by that point. Like he's one of those that if they could have secured in August, maybe he's willing to ride through it because yep. he has given his word. But because it got delayed and into it, it just did him in. Mm-hmm. Because and that happened to him across the board with what happened with the VT game. I mean, that that by halftime of that game, so much of the recruiting had just in the thin air. Yeah. But going going back to uh, the July event, a lot of good young talent. Uh, Brandon Jennings, I remember being there, is one young guy. Uh, Stephen Dix is another young guy that we mentioned because at that point he's a 2020 and this is for the 2019. Hall, and was, who you was Stephen Dix, didn't he get offered based off of that camp too, I think? Like he's one of the guys who actually left with Well, him. yeah, they were, I mean, he was a heck of a player, but he was also there with Tyler Davis. So, right. you know, there yeah, was, Carter, I'm Carter not saying Watson. that's why he got the offer, but it made it a whole lot easier to offer him. Yeah, he picked up the offer there. Sure. Arian Smith was there. Desmond mm-hmm. Watson, the D-tackle that just committed to Florida. 21 kid was there. A young Zane Hearings there. Josh Braun, who's at UF, was there. He was a 20 kid. Braun looked um, great. That was the first time seeing him in person, and he yeah. was uh, he yeah, was I've, impressive. I've known that family a long time, and I think Braun, that's going to be the best Braun of the three that played college ball. Uh, Mike Wyman, who I believe went to South Carolina, was there. Javon Baker was there, a talented receiver, 2020 kid. Uh, Charles Montgomery, 2021 kid from down Josh's way. He was there. He just committed to Florida not too long ago. We mentioned Don Chaney earlier, talked about some of the young quarterbacks. So it was a good groundwork lane group, as well as trying to put together an excellent class in that first full recruiting class for Willie Taggart. I just remembered this in the middle of recording. I didn't have it in the script. So I'm going to see if Josh recalls this. You and Bud, and somehow I'm the one who got in trouble for this, almost got into a fight with a fan in the stands at 
the Saturday Night Live camp. Maybe not almost got to a fight. It got it got aggressive. You don't recall? You mean when I was going when I was doing Facebook Live? Yes, yes. It, and you guys were standing up in the front, and it was in fr- it was hot. People didn't wait, and was, the event started late, which kind of became a thing of the Willie Taggart camps. They didn't really start on time, and the fan got upset because you were in his way. Yeah, but he could have he could have stood anywhere else or sat anywhere else in the stands. It was him and Bud who almost got into it. Yeah, but then I think I uh, turned the camera around because he was like right over my shoulder, and I was, you know, had the camera facing me now, and I was in. I had him on film and that really, that really got him triggered and he ended up getting up and moving. But yeah, that was pretty funny. A week later, this is just, uh, as people have learned. Oh, that's right. As people have learned from the podcast, Josh gets me in trouble all the time is how this ends up happening. I got a call from the guy. He had talked to someone. Wait, how did he get your phone number? He talked to someone from FSU and instead of FSU going saying, hey, hey, you're going to get a call from this guy or hey, can we give him your number? All of a sudden I got a call. I didn't remember what he was even talking about. And he's a perfectly nice man. He's from the Orlando area. Like it was a fine conversation. He just wanted to kind of explain what happened and and (laughs) wanted me to explain what happened on our end. And it was fine. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, Josh, this mother causing me time and i told josh that i talked to him for like 20 minutes on the phone and josh thought yeah. it was the most I ridiculous thing you did that. i mean i'm a nice guy you are i should have sent him to chris knee and seen what happened good luck i would have forwarded the call to josh newberg yeah <laughs> oh, you know what that's probably what i should have done yeah but josh wouldn't have handled it and you know trying to trying to keep up Knowles 24 7 stellar reputation amongst the people and the employees at florida state Moving on, that was the 2018 summer for Willie Taggart. There's only one more summer for Willie Taggart, and this is the 2019 one, and it was after a 5-7 and seven 2018 campaign. The momentum that we had discussed, the smoke and mirrors, as Josh called it, things evaporated for Florida State on the recruiting trail, big time. Also, junior days and other events between the end of the first season and leading up to the summer were... Uh, we, we've talked we're, about the... We're causing us great pause with believing this thing was suddenly going to get righted. The spring game we've is well documented how much of a cluster that was. I mean, you had... Uh, yeah, I don't think we have to go over it again because I don't want this to be a podcast where we're just taking shots at them or try to just be realistic as to what happened. But but there but were issues. Our, our mindset was night and day. 2018, we have the optimism. Oh, maybe they're going to pull this off. They're getting things scared. They're getting a lot of talent. Then we see a football season. 2019, the season has left a bitter taste in our mouth of just negativity. And then the spring hasn't done anything to rejuvenate us. And here we are summer. But Chris, it's not just the perception that you have or Josh has, or I have, or anyone else covering the team has, this is reality based in. Oh, Josh, I'm going to throw this to you. Go down some of the names that we're going to discuss here. And some of the guys that you interviewed and caught up with during both the big man camp and the actual June camp for Florida State. And you start seeing the night and day difference between what was building in 2018 versus what starts showing up in 2019. You talking about the uh, Saturday Night Live camp? No, not even. We're not even going to get to that yet. I mean, I think that's fine. But just the oh, actual... Oh, the, the, the big man camp? The big um, man camp. Dude, I remember we went over to a player right, who's currently on right, campus. Let me give you ask, run, all all right, right, go for it. Here's my in-depth rundown of the, uh, the big man camp in June of 2019. And Chris is no longer here because he's covering baseball and stuff. Omaha. <laughs> We're going back. No, that's my rundown. I'm done. Oh, you're done. <laughs> you're not going to do anything at all. I mean, there's some names. That's my column. 
It was tough to go through <laughs> in my information uh, from 2018 versus 2019 to prepare this script. So Josh. just to tell you how quickly things changed, and this is why at the time everybody thought I was being negative and said that I had an ax to grind. And like, there was all kinds of stuff being said about me when I was criticizing what they did in the June camp. How quickly things change. You just mentioned that Chris Nee wasn't, wasn't there. And I was, you know, a little confused why we, you know, why we didn't have more people there. Wasn't sure if Chris needed to be doing what he was doing. But I'll be honest with you. I handled the whole weekend and did not need a, a second hand there. I was there and you sent me home after the first day. Like, this after the first day, I sent you yeah, home. And no there was no point. I mean, we, we could see who was there especially at the big man camp. And there literally wasn't one recruitable offensive or defensive lineman at the camp. And my point at the time was, I understand if you don't want to do a big June camp, but if you're going to waste the time of being on this field, sweating your ass off, if you're this staff, like why wouldn't you have, (laughs) why wouldn't you try to invite kids to this camp? And it was just mind boggling to me. I remember calling I remember calling Josh after having multiple great steaks in Omaha <laughs> and uh, having this conversation with him and essentially going, well, are there young kids? You know, are there, are there 21, 22, 23 kids there? It's like, no, not really. He's like, in the sense of guys that you look at and you go, man, I'm going to keep up with him. He's somebody I need to know who and what he is. And that just isn't what it was. And truthfully, the best visitors that I remember Josh telling me about were guys that came in more so around the camp than for the camp, like the Texas guys, uh, the DN from Texas who went to IMG, and then uh, the quarterback, Jalen Monroe, was with them. Mm-hmm. Those guys came in, but they were not part of the actual camp. Very vivid. The first day, Josh, and I'm just kind of following Josh along like a, like a lost puppy dog. We go inside to watch, because they have the seven-on-sevens on one field, if I recall correctly, and then Inside, you have the the offensive lineman and defensive lineman going head-to-head. And we were talking to a current offensive lineman still on the roster, so I won't mention his name, but someone who Josh has known for a few years. And he's there watching and helping work oh, it out. Right. And, and Josh asks him just conversationally, he's like, hey, is there anyone here we need to be focusing on? And the player, not to be – he wasn't trying to be negative. He just kind of sat there, stared, thought. Went, no, not in this group. And then I would come up to him after every, you know, I would watch, of course, and um, I didn't see anything that stood out to me, but he was helping with the camp. So I figured, you know, I'd pick his brain after each session and every time. And he wasn't even like talking to me as if like, man, what are these coaches doing? They got to get better talent here. I would just simply go up to him and say, hey, was there anybody in this group that you think is a D1 guy or could play at FSU? And he just, nope. Very matter of fact. Not this group. Nope. And that's how it was. It did improve slightly later into June yes. for the second event. I was going to mm-hmm. say that the actual June camp, but let's get into some of the talent there because there's some names that our listeners will be familiar with. I will say this, though, real quick. Day one, going back and looking at the threat that you guys had, there was a whole lot of, oh, he'll be here in this evening or he'll be here tomorrow. So day one, not really much of a... Yeah, there's a lot of wishful thinking. Yeah. Kicking that can down the road. <laughs> but day two, let's see. Michael Redding is one of the names who visits. Uh, wide receiver ends up committing to Miami, correct? I believe so. Uh, and he's from yeah. the Panhandle initially, goes to IMG. IMG. And that was a guy that FSU was a little bit slow on, right? Yeah. Let's see. Johnny Brown, defensive tackle, comes, goes to camp, gets the offer. Issue is he's already committed to UF at the time. So you're off. I'll be honest. The issue committed. is he can't play at Florida State. Like, I don't think he's a Florida State talent. Well, and I don't think academically he could do any of it because he's in JUCO now. So. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
But hey, my boy, Holden Gurnier, the quarterback. The Savannah gunslinger. Uh, Nee and I went up on a cold, cold February evening to Valdosta. We drove up, I guess, afternoon, bitter cold, windy for the uh, the MVP camp. 2018. Yep, and this big, strong-armed 2022 kid, underclassman, younger than everyone else, is just whipping it through the air. I mean, yeah, just, he's still only twenty twenty two. Yeah, right? Jeez. Yeah. Yep, he was young, but he looked the part. Then he goes yeah. to camp. Uh, he Willie Taggart ends up offering him. He told Holden because I talked to Holden afterwards. He told him, "Hey, you, know, you look the part and stuff. I want you to sit here." He had him stand like twenty yards away from the field goal post and throw the ball at the field goal post. He's like, "Can you hit it?" Holden hits it. Makes he him do went- it. Makes him do it again. Does it again. He's got an offer. He went to Saturday Night Live the summer before, the July in 2018. He went to Saturday Night Live. Are you sure it wasn't the 2019 yeah. one that he went to? I'm pretty sure he was at 2018. I, I definitely recall talking to him in the parking lot, and it was more just about coming and getting work than anything. For okay. Him. So, you know, that's, again, being fair, there was evaluation going on. there, when I, And I don't think Willie Taggart actually offered the kid because he hit a field goal post. I think that was just for dramatic effect. Uh but other schools coming on hold in and he's going to be a big time recruit by the time it's all said and done. Uh, other guys working out day two, Desmond Tisdall, linebacker ends mm-hmm. up going to Auburn. That was another weird linebacker. There seems like one every single year. So Kobe McClain a couple of years ago, Ryan, Ryan Davis. I'm not mad at the Desmond Tisdall thing though. I mean, I, how tall was Desmond Tisdall? He was more how skinny. Much he yeah. He's more skinny than anything. I mean, probably like 200 pounds undersized. I think it, I think it, it's more just, you know, trying to take a guy and fit him in when F- FSU was missing on all the linebackers that year. And I think fans just got carried away that he needed an offer and was probably more, more of a player than he, than he was. I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, the, the skinny, but then South, again, they didn't South really Georgia land any, you know, right. Exactly. It was a position of need. Yeah. Uh, Desmond Tisdall has good NFL bloodlines. Nick Marshall, I think is his cousin. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, the skinny, the skinny linebackers from South Georgia have, done okay at Florida State. Telvin Smith being an example of maybe the only example. Uh, Jalen Knighton visits. He didn't work out, but Jalen Knighton visited, and that was kind of big and, again, kind of getting some momentum. <sighs> what else? Is that it from the Saturday? Or, sorry, the uh, the, the second? Yeah, that, so I'm, looking, that I'm scrolling down to that, Saturday Night Live. That wraps up June, and okay. then we're turning our attention to July, Saturday Night Live. Again, we're wondering, are they going to pull this off with getting – the extent of high-level talent they are trying to get into town, into town. They were successful in doing it a year ago, but obviously circumstances are different now. Program certainly is not appealing because they've had multiple back-to-back seasons that were very disappointing. And this staff's kind of been diminished by the fact that, you know, 2018 did not go successfully. Um, It's also, I remember going into that camp, it being interesting because the coaching dynamics had changed around here. Namely, you know, the hiring of Kendall Browse as an offensive coordinator, it kind of brought a different dynamic to some of the offensive recruiting. There was, there was some two brain functions going on with offensive recruiting where there were guys that Willie and his offensive style wanted, and there were guys that Kendall definitely seemed to be attached to that oh, he was like, trying to get it. Like Old Town oh, yeah. Renfro, he was there, yeah. right? Cade, yeah, Cade Renfro is a perfect example of that. Cade Renfro is a guy that Kendall had known a long time, knew of for a long time, really wanted and got him in, but – Kendall really liked the kid and seemed to want him, but I'm not sure Willie really liked the kid or cared to have him. So it was just a, an example of what we were dealing with from a coaching staff did not seem to be universally on the same page. 
What do we think of the talent level generally in that 2019 grouping? It was still pretty good. It was good. Um, especially considering circumstances, I thought it was good. But was it good? Well, first off, it wasn't going to compare it to 2018, uh, which makes sense. That was the first year momentum. But was it good with the consideration that there wasn't a whole lot earlier in the summer that came through? Again, this is where they put all their eggs in this basket. Was it good enough, I guess, the talent? I would say yes, but I'm, I'm more curious to get your guys' Well, you're coming off of the season that they had, right? I mean, you're coming off of a five-win season. So I think all things considered – the staff was still recruiting. Their recruiting was outpacing their coaching. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, for, this sets them up uh, for, well, do you want to give them more to that, Chris? And I'll go down some of the names that were there. I, I would say for me, it comes down to addressing needs. How good of a job were they doing in that bunch of dressing needs? And like O-line, it's sort of a mixed bag. They ended up with three of the four 2020 O-linemen that I remember being at. So that being Schrader, Willis, and Hearing. The other one being Isaiah Walker Jr. So, you know, that that's sort of – they hit at a high rate with that group, but I don't know that they had enough in that group for what they're trying to accomplish and for the fact that in June they pretty much had a barren wasteland of nobody that could help them in that class at that position. Now, so, In terms of, like, the actual optics of, uh, like, PR, which was big for this staff, right? They were they were big on, on playing the, the public relations game. You got Savelle Smalls to come down kind of in the same form and fashion as Kayvon Thibodeau the year before, go across the country, big-time recruit at a position of need. So you got that buzz, but to me, it didn't have quite the same, like the top-level guys. You didn't have the George Pickens. The There just wasn't the same buzz that was created. I think that's where it falls short a little bit. You didn't have bounce houses, though. They, they got four commitments out of it, a fifth one soon after. The four commitments were Morvin Joseph, ended up not going to FSU. Lloyd Willis did end up going to FSU. Brian Romson ended up going to FSU. Thomas Schrader ended up going to FSU. And Jalen Knighton ended up at Miami. So it's kind of a mixed bag with that bunch. The Jalen Knighton one was a few days later. That's where we yeah. – that, that was kind of like a turning the corner podcast for us guys. You call that one? I was in the bathroom in St. George at a hotel recording like at, at midnight because we would waited for about three hours for him to commit. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah. Good times. You guys don't Isaiah Walker made it back to campus too. That was a <laughs> that was a big one. Although who was the other ring ring? Wait, real quick. Let's Willie ended up doing ring six rings like in a few days. And there was a was it Brian Robinson? Who was the yeah, commitment? It was it was, it was yeah, Brian oh, yeah the, the dangling ring ring. So it was B Rob. So who was the other there was one other guy that I missed in the script that must have committed. Uh well B Rob technically didn't commit at the event publicly. Publicly, but he, had, he did commit. Right, that's what the ring ring was for. That's what we're saying. There's one more player who was there that ended up committing. So to be fair to to Willie's staff, like again, to get at least some momentum, they did a good job developing that right before the summertime ended. I, I wanted to say something on something that stuck out to me was they, yeah, Isaiah Walker made it to campus by July, but by then we had known that this was a UF Miami battle because he had ghosted FSU during the month of June and you know the writing was on the wall so FSU did something during June they panicked they extended a brand new offer to an offensive lineman sight unseen out of Pennsylvania I forget his name he was committed and he commits to FSU a day later right what's his name okay Uh, FAU Um, yeah he ended up at FAU Um, yeah and he ends up at FAU and I was told at the time yeah he, he's an offer. We took him. He's camping. Chris is looking this up because it's going to bother yeah, him too important. much. You know that, right? Yeah, it's important that we get the name right. But 
I was told that like he was going to camp in July and that he was going to come, um, come up from IMG and definitely camp. And that was kind of what the commitment was based on and what the offer went out as is like, you know, we're going to offer you uh, based on you coming to camp later. Well, he ends up no showing for Friday night, Saturday night live and saying that, you know, IMG wouldn't let him go. But at that point I knew something, you know, this just wasn't right. Like you don't, offer and take a commitment from a lineman sight unseen that doesn't play for the competition, doesn't even play in the South. It just reeked of desperation. And at that point I knew whatever plan FSU had, they weren't sticking to it. It was just, you know, kind of flying by the seat of their pants at this point. Would you agree, Chris? Yeah, it was Alex at Cavage and he was going to go to Rutgers if FSU did not offer, if I recall correctly. Yeah. He camped at Penn state the weekend before Penn state did not offer him. Um, it looked like it was going to be Rutgers. FSU comes in with the offer. I don't know how they got his name. I don't even know like where it really came from, but it all had to do. It was a reaction to Isaiah Walker making visits to UF in Miami in June and, and skipping FSU. There was a level of panic that was spilling out of the Moore Center at that point. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff like we could talk about, but that was a good example of, of Josh had additional background into the Akavich recruitment, knowing that, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, or if I'm saying too much, we can edit this out, but Willie wasn't happy with the take at the time. He didn't, he didn't like that they were being forced to take it that early. They would have rather seen him on, in person, uh, not to go ahead yeah, and offer. At the end of the day, quickly. he's the one making the decision. So <clears throat> He was more frustrated with where the directions were going that he felt like he was forced to do that. He was very frustrated at times with his staff. I know of... Um, I know of a couple situations where he had some screaming matches where doors were left wide open and, you know, other coaches could hear it over just that, you know, recruiting um, that guys weren't doing, you weren't pulling their weight and weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Um, that's what he was saying, you know, but I've always believed that recruiting starts at the top, the focus on recruiting, the attention to details with recruiting, it all starts at the top with the head coach and, and that, but yeah, there is definitely a sense of things were slipping away by, by this summer. Yeah, there was, it was clear watching that staff over two years that there were pockets of it that were completely on the same page with one another mm-hmm. and others who are living on, on an island and it's a different zip code. And it just, that doesn't work. And I think sometimes when you have guys from all over that you're not real familiar with, you got to give them some freedom to take their guys. So like when you were, I know it wasn't this summer, but like the summer before, when you bring in Walt Bell, you kind of have to give him like a get out of jail free, you know, like a pass one guy, if he wants him, go ahead, recruit him. And I don't think Willie was really willing to let the reins go and let his guys go after certain players. Like I know when Greg Fry was there, <clears throat> Greg Fry for six, seven months was only allowed to recruit Evan Neal and Cardell Thomas. Um, they wanted to land one of the two or two of the two. And the idea was, Oh, we don't really need offensive linemen. And then, of course, by October, November, you know, Willie's like, go get me offensive line. And by that point, FSU's won two or three games, and it's really hard to now shift gears and just go after offensive linemen. So I think there was, while there's one voice, I think, with the staff that Willie Taggart brought in being from all over the place and not really familiar with him, I think guys needed some more freedom. My big takeaway as we wrap up this portion of the podcast in the Willie Taggart era, and especially that this whole thing is about, which is the camps. If Willie Taggart had won, 
if Florida State had won even like a, a slightly higher level, let's say you beat Miami and mm-hmm. you blow that 20-point lead and that gives you enough momentum to go ahead and go up on the road and beat NC State. Let's say you get to go to a bowl game and you win seven games. His recruiting was so momentum-based and really their valuations at the top were good and the ability to develop relationships with players was really good. It would have worked. They would have been able to hit on some big-time guys at Florida State that would have elevated the roster in a way. I don't know if you're competing for national championships given everything that we've seen from Willie Taggart, but the roster would have completely been overhauled in a very positive way within one year for Willie Taggart. He would have left it this roster in a better situation than what he actually did. Uh, yeah, he would have. The issues they had to go to. Pl- they had to go to Plan B and Plan C, guys, and this staff was not meant to do to do that at a high level. He would have been able to accumulate good amounts of talent if they had won at a good enough clip, especially early on, and sustained momentum. The issue is that they would have still lost games. They probably should have won because the coaching was piss poor. And the other issue was that well, they could accumulate good talent. They could nail some positions. I don't think they did a great job of developing a roster where they identified needs and did a great job capitalizing on that. Almost to a degree, it was like a fantasy draft where they were just trying to pick up really good players. Position needs be damned at times. Josh, do you have any final takeaways before we go to commercial break on the Willie Taggart era and the camp era of Willie Taggart? Nope. All right, he's done. Fizzled out. Um, Lack of direction. Those were just all the things that I'll kind of remember about those summer camps. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break and we're going to move on to the future and hopefully much more positive times for Florida State right after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We are wrapping up this episode and the Camp Memory Series. Thank you again to... Daniel Garland of, uh, excuse me, easy for me to say, Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. 
Uh, that's mm. been that's been slipping up. I don't want to say ever sure because I'm sure about ever sure. Is that good, Josh? No, corny. Good right. enough. <laughs> but uh, this has been a fun series. I want to thank you guys for being patient and uh, and indulging me, both you and uh, you and Chris, because I know this has been a long a long series. So it's been fun. Let's talk about what we think the camps will look like under Mike Norvell. Uh, to be transparent, we did ask. FSU if one of the coaches wanted to come on and explain what they're thinking about doing for the summer camps but you know uh, they they declined that offer mainly because it's just weird you don't know when there's going to be camps uh, it's weird to talk about something that hasn't happened yet necessarily in that way so I'm going to give you guys a couple of tidbits on what we know about how Mike Norvell did things at Memphis understand this isn't apples to apples it's a little different I don't want to get you uh, Josh you and Chris's thoughts on on how he did things at Memphis they called it at Memphis, the big cat mega camp. All right. This was essentially a a satellite camp regionally, and it was held in the summertime in June. Basically you would get about 1500 to 2000 players and upwards of 200 college coaches from every single level. We're talking about power five, group of five, whatever to come and watch players at this camp. So first off the sheer numbers there is pretty incredible. Uh, one, what are your thoughts on how that would work at Florida State? Do you think that's something that would transition to what you're trying to do and accomplish here in Tallahassee? My first thought is that's way too many kit, way too many campers for a Florida State camp. Okay. Because at Florida State, it's not about quantity. You're looking for quality. And FSU, unlike you know Memphis, let's just be honest, the brand recognition is stronger. So if you open your doors and just really get you could get 2,000 recruits there, but 2,000 recruits, 2,000 kids can't play it at Florida State. And it's important to be able to, with, with these big-time recruits, when you're, when you're at the highest level of recruiting, which Florida State is and wants to be, you got to be able to give attention to these top recruits. You can't just treat everybody, all 2,000 kids that show up equally. It's just not how it works because that's not taking place at Florida or Auburn or Alabama. Like they're bringing in an elite group of players and they're personalizing that experience towards them. Of course, there's going to be outliers and there's going to be other kids that come with some of these players. And that's where you get, you know, you want your numbers for camps to be more in the 200, 300 range. Anything over 300 is a lot of players at one time. Yeah, I, I've never been a big believer that FSU needs to be in the business of satellite camps. Even back in the old version of them and now in the newer version of them, I just don't think it's really beneficial for FSU. I think for FSU, the goal with camps has always been about identifying the future, uh, figuring out the current, the guys that you like versus some guys that you're not sure with that you might pull the trigger on and getting them together and kind of getting a feel for them, spending time with them, making it a personal relationship making it something where you can work with the kid on the field and then go sit with him while he eats and potentially get him in your uh, office watching video of the camp and discussing things mm-hmm. with him and kind of picking the brain and figuring out, is this a kid I want? I think with FSU, where they currently are and what I expect them to be in 12 months, I think it's going to be important for FSU to find guys that kind of, you know, not only want to be there, but will help them if they are there, both because of talent and their desire to be a better football player down the road. And I, I think that's something you can only learn in a smaller setting, not a camp event that has, you know, thousand plus. 
to be fair, we don't know if that's what's going to happen at Florida State. Right. I just want to make sure that, yeah. that our listeners are clear on on that point. I I think I think a great camp structure, presuming they stick with the calendar we have, which is basically you're open for the first three weeks of June and the last week of July, and everything else is shut down. So you, you in June you do something that is either uh, position specific. So you would have like quarterbacks with right, wide receivers, running backs, and obviously DBs, linebackers all together. And then you would have like a big man event and then maybe a seven on seven event, because that's a good way to get teams there, build relationships with coaches and the people that help run teams, especially teams in your relatively dominant area. You know, the area that's 200 miles all the way around mm-hmm. you is where you're going to get those seven on seven teams from for the most part. And that's about building long-term relationships with coaching staffs who may not have any kids on their current roster that you care about, but in four or five years, they may. And that's what you're doing with those. And then July, a mega event or multiple days of solid bigger events that are more focused on how you want to wrap your summer up. And so a little bit more background, kind of what you touched on, Chris, is what Norvell would do. He had individual position camps in early June. He'd have a big man session as well as a second position camp in June. And then he would have the mega camp uh, later on in the month. Now, yeah, whether it's going to be a – whether it's going to be a satellite camp or not at Florida State, I don't think we know that yet, but he does seem to want to put an emphasis on scouting. Uh, I say that, oh, he also has a quarterback academy camp too, which he did at Memphis uh, for two days in 2019. He does specialists as well, and he does a third individual position camp. Yeah, there's almost always a kicking, punting, long snapping, singular day. That's usually the first day of the camp season for a lot of schools. I say all this and give you the background on what his camps have been like because – the ability to evaluate, I know something that Mike Norvell takes pride in, something I think his staff does as well. In the 2019 recruiting cycle, the guys who ended up signing and enrolling at Memphis, 70% of that signing group attended a camp as some form or another. At Memphis. At Memphis. That's impressive. Yeah. And not, and not even visited a camp, attended and camped. I mean, so evaluation, the ability to be hands-on, I think it's going to end up being very, very important for Norvell Weather. I think that plays, I think that transitions from Memphis to Florida State. I think that works no matter where you're at. I think that's something he's always going to value. Yeah. And I think camps have to be a microcosm of what your program has to be. And I think a place like Memphis, obviously great success in recent years, but largely a program trying to come up when you have those mega events where you have larger, more attractive universities at it it gets kids who are on that cusp of playing for that larger mega school versus a second tier school, which I'm not trying to be rude to Memphis. Memphis is a better football program today than FSU is, but you you find some of those kids who want to go to a Tennessee, but Tennessee doesn't want them, but they'd be great at Memphis. And there's a reason Memphis is really good. I don't think FSU is in that same boat, despite having to kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get better here as a football program. Last year, almost exactly a year ago at this time, so heading into the the fall camp, Memphis ended up getting five commitments in about a week or so. Uh, So the similar kind of fireworks philosophy that worked for Willie Taggart's staff. Uh, It's cool. You'll kind of hold them. You let them all commit at one time. I don't think it's a coincidence. And and at this time last year, Memphis was ranked 55th nationally, which doesn't sound super impressive, but that was the tops in in the AAC. And the guys they had atop their class, were essentially among like some of the, the highest ready commits that Memphis has ever had. So how many total commitments did they have at that point after those five? After, I don't know. I didn't research that. Okay. I, just, 
I just wondered what percentage of that class was near completion at oh, the end of summer. At that point, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, the fact that they're 55th nationally at that point, I would say that there's probably a pretty sizable amount of guys that would have been right. committed at, at that time. Upwards um, in the teens. To me, it seems like this is what you're going to see under Norvell is going to be a kind of a somewhere of a middle ground with what you saw with Willie Taggart and the emphasis for uh, a bigger, more explosive camp later on in the summer and trying to develop some momentum along with the hands-on super scouting component of Jimbo Fisher. Does that sound right to you, Josh? Yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be more scouting being done, more evaluating, more coaching than hype. I, I think so, just based on the personalities that we see, not only with Mike Norvell, but also his coaching staff. One thing I'll add, and then we'll wrap this up, Christian Fowler of our Memphis 24-7 site, he was on the podcast not too long ago and did a really nice job breaking down the defense. He, I was listening to one of his podcasts from a year ago following camp season, uh, and he had mentioned something amongst the lines of Mike Norvell will never have a recruiting class in which he does not take a quarterback. Music to your ears, yeah, right? Most coaches, your ears. most coaches would do the same that, that I worked with or talked to. That's what we call a plan. <laughs> that's a good plan, too. All right, last thing I want to talk about, Josh. Do you like that second mac and cheese? Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Oh, what are we doing? Hold on. <laughs> Didn't like my mac and cheese? What are you talking about? I just think it's ridiculous that everyone makes fun of my mac and cheese when it looks like shit, but then I go ahead and make a delicious, scrumptious looking oh, one. Oh, the set, the, oh, okay. I thought we were on the first one. You did a part two. I did see that. I, I was kind of off the message board this weekend. But More yeah, like a part you, rue. So the funny, the funny thing is you got dragged so bad that you made a mac and cheese two days after making a mac and cheese. I've eaten it all. Like these people too. really had you breaking out all the ingredients, the pots and pans and everything to I've make it again because of your, the criticism you received for your first round. Two pounds of mac and cheese, Josh. Two pounds of mac and cheese in the last week. So My belly's a little you, you did a lot better. You made it in a cast iron, so you scaled it down. So that was important. And anything you cook in a cast <laughs> iron, that's like cheating. It's going to be great. But now, I mean, you made fun of me when I said, did you, grant, did you uh, sh- shred your own cheese? You got to shred your own cheese. So I think for the actual roux portion, I don't know if it would make a huge difference for what you put on the top. Yes, the way it melted was much more cohesive and crispy and, and well, shredded, natural. Shredded bag cheese. I call it plastic cheese because it has all the you know chemicals in it to, I don't know what, it, to, to keep it fresh or to keep it so it doesn't um, stick together. I mean, you so, can keep that, that cheese lasts for about three months if you don't open it. Right. Back. It also melts like plastic when you, you know, when you melt it, it doesn't do what you want it to do, which is get all gooey and yummy. That's exactly what happened with the first one too. It didn't look right when I took it out of the oven and I panicked and I just mixed it yeah. all together. So it's like, you know, in football, if we relate it to football, it's like a quarterback. How's he ever going to get his throws right if his footwork's wrong? Like if you're, if you're not shredding your own cheese, your footwork's wrong. The basics, the foundation of what you're building this mac and cheese upon is faulty. I think Chris would have eaten the first mac and cheese or the second one. <laughs> yeah, that's why Chris it. is shaking his head right now. He's like, I don't know. I would eat them both. I'm like Mikey in the life commercial. I'm just going to eat it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. Chris, a one, a it. 10, it doesn't matter. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> but it, I, I will say, Brendan, the second attempt, I don't know how it tasted, but it looked like it, it was done much better. Thank you. It did look better. The taste was 
The first one tasted delicious. I don't care what anyone says. All right. For Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks for listening to the Camp Memory Series. Josh, should we tease them for the next series coming up? Or we'll, we'll, no, we won't. I don't want to promise. No teases. This no is the te- no tease tease. This is the no tease tease. We'll talk to you guys next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.